Hey Pam. So after a lot of sleepless nights, I think I've come up with a name for the show. Ooh, okay, tell me. What do you think of the look back? Oh, I like that. Right. So here we are. I'm Tom Miller, editor of Solar Review, and welcome to the look back. I'm joined as always by my co-host Pam Cargill. Pam, now that we have a name and we're all official, why don't you take this opportunity to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Pam Cargill. I'm the principal of Kaolisti Interactive, and my business focus is on maturing the solar industry. And I do a lot of my work with solar contractors, helping them work better together and further understand how the business of solar is changing. And what is Kaolisti? What's the title of your company mean? Oh, what is it? It's a combination of a four different words. Chaos plus analysis plus holistic, and now I forget the fourth one. Because <laughs> you asked me. <laughs> now it's like I got to look it up. While we're keeping that. that. So yeah, so I feel like we've we've formalized the show. We're we're gonna call it the look back. We're gonna have solar contractors on each week and ask them to look back at how they used to approach a problem or or a challenge, and ask them to think about how they approach doing it now. So it's kind of a story podcast, but also like a learning and sharing podcast. What do you think? I love it. Well, especially given how the the solar industry is really part of the story arc of the overall construction sector. Mm-hmm. And the construction sector is all about passing along best practices from one generation of contractors or builders to the next. Yeah. So the solar industry is no different. I mean, we need to start passing along what works and what doesn't. And given how fast the policies are changing and the products are changing, this is a very quickly maturing space. It's still in its nascency. We need to be passing these on energetically. Yeah. And, and so the theme today that we're looking at is market uncertainty due to local and national regulations. And, and Chad tells some really interesting stories, both from the local level, utility level, all the way up to how he's seeing national and, and federal policies affecting what he's doing. All right. Well, let's get to Chad. I want to ask everybody before we do to subscribe to Solar Review, give us a rating on iTunes. It would really help us out. And also visit the Solar Review magazine. Just Google Solar Review and review is spelled R period E period view, all one word, review. So just Google Solar Review and you'll find us there. We've got a lot of articles, videos, podcasts on how to run efficient and healthy solar businesses. So please check us out. And without further ado, let's get to Chad Waits from Net Zero. Chad from Net Zero, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So I believe you got started in solar in 2002. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, basically segued from the environmental building sector into energy. It was pretty, pretty easy transition for me because we, as builders, couldn't find contractors really to, to put together solar hot water systems or, or PV systems. So it was, um, you know, it was like, hey, this can't be that hard. We're building houses already. This is one big system, so why can't we figure out, you know, one of these smaller systems? So, yeah, it was a, a good transition for me. I had other friends that went on to a rise and fall with the boom in 2005, 2006. Their, you know, building companies are now out of business. And, you know, obviously Net Zero has sprung up out of the ashes of the collapse in 2008, and, and we're doing just fine. So, Chad, what made you feel like you were really ready to take that leap and launch your own business? Uh <laughs> Well, I think it's that uh, eternal saying is if you think you can do it better, then you probably should go and do it better. So um, I worked for, you know, I worked for two contractors that I really, uh, well, one that I really 
respect still, but two very different contractors and their approaches to business. The technical side of it, you know, I, uh, I really felt like I had learned enough where I could go out and provide a, a, a solid product for consumers. The business acumen portion, you know, I gleaned from, you know, those two contractors, a lot of things of my base of friends, my really core close friends, and all of them were entrepreneurs, small business owners. And I was like, there's no reason why I can't do this. I felt at the time like it was right, not only for me personally, but also for our industry, we were just really ready to to, to pop off, you know, with the, with the retraction of the cap on the federal tax credit, you know, with, with rapidly declining module prices, uh, I just really felt like, hey, I, I can go and do this. And, you know, my uncle, who is uh, in guy's own businesses, uh, as long as I've been alive and owns three of them right now, he told me I was crazy. You know, he lives in Mexico and uh, he was just looking on the outside of what was going on in the financial markets here, uh, of all the turmoil after the 2008 election and the crisis. And he's like, man, you know, I hope you know what you're doing. And, uh, and I really felt like I did. So, you know, I remember having a conversation with my wife who went out to dinner right before I was to put in my notice at my previous employer. And I had written down on a very small piece of paper <laughs> the amount of money that we were going to have to live off of <laughs> with, <laughs> with our budget, you know, that we had uh, refined over and over again. And she, she just about lost it. But, you know, I knew we were, I knew we were going to be successful and you just can't substitute passion. People knew, and I know that they would know when we walked in the door that this is what we were meant to do and uh, that they were going to get quality, quality products and services. So I was, it was an easy jump for me. Right. I want to ask you a question about a NABSA panel that you spoke at earlier this year. In your presentation, you mentioned that you got into this business because you really wanted to be respected in what you do. And I thought that was an interesting statement. Can you talk about that a little bit more? You know, I think that was really derived from a builder that was in the local community in Flagstaff where I was learning my trade um, that I just I just had so much respect for the guy because I really felt like he was swimming upstream. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there were so many forces against doing environmental building for whatever reason most of it was cost driven uh, and people really wanted metrics about hey well you know if i want to do this other than the you know the hippies and the people that are living very altruistic lifestyles which i absolutely love and i'm probably one of them but you know this person was really fighting an uphill battle not only on that front but also in building codes and you know how to work in and around a building code that wasn't suited for for some of these building technologies and he just always went about it very very methodically very genuinely like asking for people's input but he was a very humble person and i just fell in love with his buildings and the and the style at, 
and how he went about it. And, you know, I think that the driver for me was I wanted people to recognize me or, you know, my company and the people that, you know, make up my company as real leaders in not only, you know, these technologies and helping people, you know, add sustainability to their life, but also in our willingness to share knowledge and make people feel welcome and at home if they had questions. And, you know, sometimes that's to my detriment in that I spend a lot of time on the phone with people that are just you know, digging for information and maybe not buying a system. But I see all of that as investments in in our future in that, you know, that person may not buy something from us, but they would come away from an interaction or a conversation with us feeling like, hey, these guys are, they know what they're talking about, A, and B, they're not, they, they haven't sat themselves on such a high pedestal that they're not willing to share that knowledge with people. So, right. you know, I want to be respected by my family, by my colleagues, by our customers, by people who aren't our customers. I, you know, I would hope that I could walk down the street and people that are interested in solar or sustainability on some level, whether it be electric vehicles or sustainable building techniques or water harvesting or solar would look at me and go, hey, you know what, that guy, he knows his company does it right. And Uh, he's approachable. I can go to him and talk to him. So that's kind of where I'm coming from when I, when I said that the money part, you know, everybody has to make a living and I've been fortunate enough that I have wandered into a, uh, an industry that first got into it was just fledgling, you know, flopping along and um, truly believe that it's going to continue to move further and further into the mainstream. And it's been able to provide uh, a decent living for myself and for all of the people that work for me. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, the biggest kick that I get out of it is not looking at a pay stub. It's, you know, someone coming up to me and say, hey, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about you and your company and I have a few questions. That's what lights my fire. Right. Mm. Chad, what you were saying about this environmental builder that you, that you worked with, that you really respected, about his sort of methodical way of approaching codes issues around new technologies, I think there's there's definitely a lot of crossover to that philosophy in the solar space. And one of the things we do every episode in this podcast is we like to dig into a specific issue common to solar contractors and then get the opinion of the experience of our guests. And since today's theme is around market uncertainty due to local and national regulations, I wanted to kind of focus us on dealing with that local market problem. And I know that you've experienced a fair amount of challenge in your local market recently due to, you know, changing utility policies around the value of net energy metering and various rate structure changes that have happened. So when you first started Net Zero Solar, how did you view and interact with the local utility in terms of their role in the solar market? <laughs> well, it's it's funny that you ask that because I, sometimes I tell this story to people who are looking to purchase systems from us. So when I first started in the industry in the Flagstaff area, my interaction with the utility, at least when I first started, was mostly as an outlier. We were 
we were one of the first companies to put a grid-tied solar electric system on uh, APS's territory because APS covers Flagstaff and Cottonwood area, which is where we were working. And I remember having this interaction with the gentleman, Brian Gurnett, who came to inspect our system. And I asked him, uh, you know, while he was there, a little bit about himself and what his background was. And he was one of the lead engineers on the Palo Verde nuclear plant project. So immediately, I started to feel a little queasy and like I was way out of my league because I was, <laughs> this is my first PV system. I'm still learning uh, the ins and outs of electricity, you know, all of the nomenclature for components. So my first interaction was very much as an installer and being very humbled. Fast forward a couple years and I moved to Tucson and as part of uh, Tucson Electric Power's program, they had kind of an annual stakeholder meeting. APS might have been doing that at the time, but I'm not so sure that we ever attended. What year so was that? Uh, in APS or TEP? TEP. That uh, would be 2005. Mm, okay. So 2005, TEP is, uh, they have this really interesting program, which was very much more pro-solar than APS in terms of net energy metering and some of the other programs that they had. So they had these stakeholder meetings and, and I remember going in and it was, you know, a couple people from TEP and then there was like maybe 10 other people around the table, uh, which maybe represented four to six other companies in the Tucson market. Uh, and, and I'm saying probably total, not just ones that were relevant. So that interaction with TEP in the, in the early stages was very much, hey, we're here to help you and you're here to help us. Kind of, there was lots of knowledge sharing. There was, there was a lot of input from local installers that was taken to heart and implemented on certain levels. So it was, it was very much a, uh, an open dialogue between the utility and installers, which, you know, helped us be prepared for changing incentive matrices. Like TEP had a really interesting one where, you know, your panels had to be facing this direction at this tilt to get a full incentive. And if not, then, you know, outside of these, it, uh, you know, it was less valuable for the consumer. But as the utility model started to morph and they saw westerly facing arrays a little bit better, that window opened up. So, but it was a, it was a good relationship. I would have to say I have, friends that that uh, we you know we created a friendship through those meetings that uh, I can no longer call directly <laughs> there's a firewall now between us Interesting. And, and the utility well okay so then let's fast forward to present day present time how do you view this now this relationship between the solar market and the local utility and the market uncertainty that has evolved, it's, it seems like it's a very different space. I mean, you just said there's this firewall there, but how else are you looking at this now, different than then? Um, it's actually turned pretty sour for me, to tell you the truth. There have been occasions where, you know, I've, my blood pressure has been at a boiling point because of additional, uh, I don't want to use firewalls again, additional hurdles that we now have been subject to to install you know solar electric systems for people and 
most of them, you know, have been either debunked by technical papers or are just flat out. You can tell that it's, uh, you know, it's something that's been thrown up in front of us to slow the adoption rate of solar, i.e. if your home shares a transformer for your neighbor, you can only install 10 kilowatts AC PV on your rooftop or ground. There's absolutely no technical paper out there that justifies the reasoning behind that because really no other utilities where we work, i.e. Trico or SSVEC or APS even for that matter, um, have said that uh, you know rooftop solar systems on shared transformers create harmonic distortion for neighbors uh, and could potentially damage electrical equipment in their house. There's no technical paper out there for it. So it's become, uh, that relationship has become very bad I have to say, I I am of the opinion that we can't get to uh, low cost solar and storage fast enough. So I just don't have to deal with these people anymore. <laughs> and are you seeing are you seeing storage as a a mitigator here? I mean, I I know that you've been investigating that, and you're probably already working in that area. I would think yes. I mean, you know, the holy grail is to pull. Pe- houses off the grid. That's just not going to happen probably before I retire. Hopefully I retire. But, you know, having systems with zero export that uh, you're not beholden to an export rate or financial modeling that uh, uh, depends on utility rate structures that they can change at the whim. So it's been very difficult for us to walk the line of being cordial. And, you know, we've been we were interviewed by NBC Nightly News in a story that ran about a month and a half, two months ago. And, um, you know, Lewis, who is my business partner, he, you know, had practiced for, you know, a week or so about potential questions and he was ready to go. And, and I was there watching the interview and, the, and they, and they being NBC, they were trying to egg Lewis into a, you know, a, a soundbite. Uh, you know, like, you know, we hate the utility or we feel like they're doing this wrong or, you know. Oh, they were trying to set up that, you know, man versus beast thing. Exactly. So he had to walk them back a couple of times saying, hey, listen, I don't feel too comfortable with the line of questioning. Can we rephrase that so that we don't sound like, you know, oh, we hate the utility. (laughs) I'm a very emotional person. (laughs) Lewis, Lewis being more diplomatic, how did he handle it? How did the interview turn out? Well, they cut him out altogether. Right. And they really? they did exactly what uh, they've done on all other occasions, which is they got our customer in there and, you know, they got me and Trace in there installing some panels. But other than that, they left out the real meat of what uh, Lewis was excited about. And it, um, it really made him mad. And I don't blame him. It made me furious. Well, let's think a little bit about the national scale now. How do you think your 2008 self, the one who just launched Net Zero, would react to the upcoming trade case? Um, it would probably be um, one of doom and gloom. Right. I probably would be very scared about what it was going to do to my ability to, to do what I love, which is install solar. But, you know, that was kind of the status quo for me for at least the first couple years of running my business. The doom and gloom um, as we part. watched, well, just, you know, incentive rates changed yearly from the time that I got into this business until they were gone, 
which is probably 2011, 2012, maybe. So every year that the incentive would step down, you know, there would be this whole, oh my God, are we going to be able to sell solar at, you know, $5 a watt with a $1 a watt incentive payment. And every time, you know, whether it be just the market itself or our ability to kind of tighten our procedures. Plus we ran, we've always run at a very low overhead. Right. You know, we don't have a flashy office. We've got a, a little dumpy office slash warehouse that, uh, that serves our purpose. So, you know, every year the, the incentive would step down and, and we would just get, uh, you know, a little bit better and we'd tighten up our costs. You know, we were fortunate enough to have module costs on the downward trend. So, you know, that helped. And obviously those incentives did what they were supposed to do, which was, you know, create economies of scale for our industry and drive costs down. Fantastic. Not until about the third reduction was I was like, okay, we're good. You know, I, I know that there's going to be people out there that are going to buy solar that, uh, you know, are going to get past that whole, oh, shoot, I missed the 75 right. cent per watt incentive and now it's 50 cents. I, I definitely got a little more thick skinned when it came to, you know, issues like that. And, and, you know, I've always relied upon, you know, my biggest vendor, which is, <clears throat> which is Baywa. Um, they're the one that I spend the most amount of money with, you know, I buy the highest price um, pieces from. So they um, have always been great, whether it be Eric or Genevieve or Gilbert about, you know, keeping us informed about what to buy, when to buy, what the pricing is going to be, hold off on that, don't stock up too much on that. So that portion is, has always been taken care of for us. And it's been, you know, it's just made it easier for us to plan and, you know, ride out whatever lull may occur from some policy change. And I expect the same for not only net metering going away, which is, I mean, it is gone for all intents and purposes. We're just you know, we're just fighting over what the export rate is going to be. But we've sold jobs already in utility areas that net metering in its truest form no longer exists. So, you know, yeah, 2008. Actually, that's great. Would, so let's let's jump into the future a little bit. Let's jump into present day. Like you've got all these things that are that are happening in your area. So how would you look at the trade case today in, in yourself today? You know, it just seems to me like it's uh, one more thing that will be able to overcome. I'm right. I don't, I, I can't fret about it until I know exactly what it is until I know exactly how it's going to affect pricing for us. So in that sense, you know, I'll just, I'll just take it as it comes. It, when it gets here, everybody else is going to have to, going to have to deal with the same issue. So it's, it's a level playing ground across the board. Now, will that affect our uh, overall sales? possibly. Uh, I'm sure it will have some effect, but I won't know until I have those numbers. And, you know, we've got other strategies that we've been able to pick up, you know, in terms of creating cash flow and revenue that, you know, will help ride us through whatever lull is set to come. But I can't worry about it. I got too many other things to worry about. I got kids to raise and, <laughs> and making sure that I'm a good dad for them. So uh, I'll just, right. we'll just take it in stride. So... Well, that's pretty different than than doom and gloom of Chad in 2008. I like that. <laughs> For sure, yeah. It's, I sleep a lot better now. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, you know, we'll we'll figure it out. We really will. I got the great thing about it is 
you know, my uncle told me a long time ago, or actually right before I was going to start the business, he said, hey, listen, I can give you one piece of advice other than don't do it right now. <laughs> it would be make sure you hire people that uh, are smarter than you. And I've done a pretty good job at having, you know, surrounding myself with teammates that, um, you know, they're just, they're great people. They're, they're, you know, they're sharp people. They're critical thinkers. They understand because we're very vocal with all, with everyone um, that's on our team about what's coming and what to plan for. And their input is always very valuable. And we've, We'll do fine, you know. We as a company will will be fine. I'm, right. I'm pretty positive of that. I've heard a, a few people mention the idea for hiring for culture, not necessarily for ability. What's your take on hiring for culture? Oh, that's been that's been my model right from the get go. Right. Um, you guys know this is not an easy job. It's a very rewarding job, but especially down here for five months out of the year, it is, you're talking about rooftop temperatures that fluctuate between, you know, uh, 110 ambient to, you know, 165 within a couple inches of the roof. So mm. um, that's enough to burn people. I burned myself on my tools before. It will wear you down to do it day in and day out. So. Right. You have to be committed to making a change, to, to come and do this day in and day out and do it in a quality fashion. So we hired a guy from Solar City. He's a great, he's a great guy. He's fantastic. He moved from Solar City to our company because he wanted to spend more time with his autistic special needs child. He was going to make more over there under their per panel pay, but I think they've kind of phased that out anyways. But we thought we could offer him a decent wage. And he thought that not only the wage, but also the time that he had to spend with this child was a fair trade-off for whatever he was going to lose and pay. And You, you can't know, put a he, price on that. Oh, no. No, definitely yeah. not. So, you know, for, for me, that was a huge sign that he, he obviously was out there busting his butt. He was telling me they would spend 5 a.m. To, to 9 o'clock at night finishing up in the dark. I told him right off the bat, I was like, that is not going to happen here. <laughs> I want you, first of all, to be fresh day after day, but I also want everyone here to be able to spend time with their family. You know, all of our guys, I would say every single one of them, even my warehouse guy, who is a writer and a rapper, the dude is so passionate about renewables and environmental things that um, are, you know, of, of utmost importance for not only us here in the desert, but I think for us globally. So, yeah, you, you're not getting on our staff if this is a, this is just a job for you. Right. You know, I need, I need people to say, I want to make a difference in my community, first and foremost. And, and if that has a broader effect globally, fantastic, you know. Mm. So I want to ask you a backwards looking kind of reflective question. So you launched in 2008. And, you know, I'm kind of curious to hear where you saw the business would be 10 years from then. Did you even, were you even thinking that far ahead? Because here we are, it's almost 2018. And that vision you had of what you were building, how did it turn out? How'd you do? <laughs> um, you know, I take things day by day and I, I plan for, for one year in advance and, and that's as far as I look. And I don't, I don't know if that's bad. I don't know if 
if it's good. All I know is that it's worked for us, you know, uh, day by day, day to one day at a time. If I get out of bed, I put my boots on the ground and I get rolling and I make sure that, that I utilize all the resources that I have in my network of friends and my colleagues. And, you know, obviously that includes my vendors to, to try to keep some viewport as to what's going to happen down the road. But we all know it's the future. It could be completely right. different. From what you've predicted. So I would say where we're at now probably exceeds anything in my wildest imaginations as far as, um, uh, you know, where we're at in 2008. I, I was nice. always thought, oh, I'm just going to be out. I'm going to be installing systems and I'm going to be doing this until I retire. I'm just going to keep myself in shape and I'll be able to do it. And, you know, at some point, um, that respect level and that market presence just pushes you beyond that. And my wanting to build that, you know, foundation and, and network of customers uh, just kind of pushed me past where I thought my ceiling was. Yeah. So, Speaking of the network, I've heard you talk before about getting together a group of six other companies to share best practices, discuss upcoming policies. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why it's been so important for you? Um, it came from a colleague here in Tucson that had been uh, on a flight back from someplace and he read in a magazine an article about medical care and how this small town in Iowa was able to increase the quality of their care by all the physicians getting together and sharing best practices about their profession. And he thought, hey, you know, uh, why can why can that work for our industry? Right. So we came back, and you know, it was a really interesting conversation. He said, "Hey, listen, I, I want to throw this idea by you. Can I come over and talk to you?" And their office is only two blocks from ours. So he came over and he sat down, and he's like, "This this is what I'm thinking. I'd like to get as many contractors as I possibly can together to talk about." the issues that are going on right now in our industry. But what I would like for each contractor to do is to bring to the table uh, a practice that they're doing that they really feel like is pushing our industry forward and creating a product that in the long run is better for consumers. So I was like, okay, well, let me think about that. And and then I started to think about it a little more and I was like, all right, so we're going to share our way of doing things with other contractors. Right. And at first I was like, well, that seems a little weird. But then I started to think about it. I was like, yeah, well, you know, ultimately if people are getting a better product, it's better for our industry in the long run. Right. So I was like, sure, man, I'll, I'll do it. And so the first meeting, I think we had four contractors there. And the next meeting, I think we had six and then, it kind of leveled out for a while and we thought, well, how can we take this to the broader network of installers to try and get those companies out there that are just, you know, butchering these installs? Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw one the other day. I don't know how much experience you have, Tom, with looking at different PV systems, but Pam, uh, I have a pretty good feeling that you would understand good from bad. And this installation was like a circus on someone's roof. Like there oh, was man. Unistrut stilts all over the place, putting modules. In. Anyways, so we formalized the group on getting installation standards up. So put together bylaws and qualifications to get people in and 
I think at our height, we had 12 companies statewide that were, you know, met the qualifications and were submitting their work for third party and peer inspection. So it, uh, for me, it just felt like, hey, I'm part of something that's relevant, that is really doing things for the right reasons. And I was willing to uh, volunteer my time to do that. And did it win me any more work? I don't know, but I certainly felt good about the information that we were, that I was learning, that we were learning as a company. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt good about that network of peers slash colleagues that I had formed that I knew had the same values as us that were really driven by quality, by uh, consumer relationships and just, you know, and, and, all around better product. So Chad, last question here. If you could give your 2002 self some advice as you now, what would that be? Oh, goodness gracious. I would say, I mean, gosh, I don't know. I wanted to say stay hungry, you know, but I don't, I don't think that's very fitting. I've always been a really humble person and I've always told myself, you know, keep your eyes and ears open because there's information out there that uh, is going to make you smarter and you and you won't have to ask for it. Uh, just, you know, stay the course, stay true to your, stay true to your passion, stay true to your values. And, and I've done that. You know, I, I see, I see a lot of business out there right now that um, we turn away because uh, we don't, you know, I've never bought into that philosophy that I can just hire more people to meet a bubble and then cut them loose when when the bubble popped you know it's sometimes it's a little difficult to know that you could be doing more in terms of getting more solar out there at least more quality solar but um you know I've been pretty good about staying true to myself and staying true to uh, my business philosophy so I would say just you know do it Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. This has been... Thank you, guys. It's good Appreciate to talk it. to you. Yeah, yeah thanks, Chad. This was awesome. See you, Tom. Bye, Pam. Okay, that's it for this episode of The Look Back. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chad. Please take a moment to rate us on iTunes and leave a comment. We would really appreciate it. And check out Solar Review. We've got a lot more podcasts, articles, and interviews with industry leaders on how to run efficient and healthy solar businesses. Just Google Solar Review. That's review spelled R period E period view. All one word, review. Solar Review. And thanks for listening. See you next time.